0: For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. My name is Stephen, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. This week... We mark the 55th birthday of the James Bond film franchise. And we go back to the very beginning to look at the first film, Dr. No. Joining me, as always, are two guests. Someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who hasn't seen the film and returning for the first time in a little while, it's Miss Anna Weir. Welcome back, Anna.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: And uh, just to remind the folks at home, uh, who are you and what do you do?
1: Um who am i oh, why don't i know how to answer that question every time you ask me um i'm a costume student at whopper and that's about it
0: no at that's, the moment that's plenty to be getting on with and uh any any fun costumes in the last three months that you've been working on
1: um, we did 42nd Street at the Regal Theatre Which was pretty fun
0: Beautiful, so lots of um, dresses, suits, that kind of thing
1: Yeah, that whole 30s shebang
0: Oh, nice, yeah. nice And joining us as our guest who has seen the film uh, For the first time since episode 3, ladies and gentlemen It's Alex McVeigh Ooh. Thank you very much And here. Alex, because it's been so long uh, Who are you and what do you do?
2: <laughs> because you've all forgotten My name's Alex and I'm a
0: lawyer You are indeed So, Dr No. James Bond. It all starts here. Anna, what do you know about Dr. No?
1: Nothing. I have never seen a James Bond film. Really? Really.
0: There's quite a lot of them. That's yep. that's actually impressive. Yeah. Just never come across it even on television one night, flicking through the channels?
1: No. I mean, like, I have seen the opening, the the like, the famous sequence, but that's all I got.
0: Okay, now that's brilliant, excellent. Well, you're starting at the very beginning, which is uh, going to be exciting. Uh, Alex, in a in a sort of vague, non-spoilery kind of way, what do you remember about this first James Bond film?
2: Oh, sets the scene really. It introduces the world to James Bond, uh, the fights, the you know the girls, the locations. Uh, it has it all really, um, without going over the top like some of the most recent films maybe do, it's mm-hmm. uh, It's still quite a basic film and it's reasonably easy to, to follow the storyline. There's someone who wants to take over the world and James Bond's got to stop him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and that's
0: pretty easy to remember. And he's got to do it as a good British role model. <laughs> of course. Being as... polite and <laughs> shooting people in the back and that kind of thing. As you do. As, mm. Yeah, mm. Yes. Uh, excellent. So, uh, without any further ado, shall we watch the film? Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen, grab your Walther PPKs and prepare to join us as we watch Dr. No. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have just finished watching Dr. No, and by we, I, of course, mean Anna Weir. Hello. Hello. And Alex McVeigh. Hello. So, Anna, that was your first ever James Bond film. Lucky me. Yes. What did you think of Doctor No?
1: As in, personally, what did I think of the villain or the whole film?
0: Let's go with the whole film first. I
1: quite enjoyed it. Hmm? I think it was good fun. Yeah. I probably wasn't paying as close attention to the plot as I should have been.
0: No, but I I sort of feel it's maybe not as important with this one. It's it's fairly uh, paint-by-numbers as far as uh, espionage thrillers go. So, yeah, but it was enjoyable.
1: Uh, yes, I definitely enjoyed
0: it. Excellent. Uh, Alex, of course, uh, when, when did you last watch Doctor No? Oh, wow.
2: Uh, it would have been in the last few years, but I couldn't tell you where exactly. I try to go back and re-watch some of the films every now
0: and then, but, but it would
2: have been a few years since I watched Doctor No specifically, yeah.
0: And uh, how how did this viewing go for you? Did it Did it hold up to your memories of the film?
2: Yeah, it did. I think in some ways it was even better than some of my memories because i've seen some of the more recent bond films and i think uh, like i was saying before you get such an idea about what bond is supposed to be and Mm. you forget to appreciate it as a film in itself because there's so many cliches and there's so much going on for james bond in general that you don't look at the normal film elements you'd look at and judge it as you would a normal film Mm. Uh, but dr no doesn't have any of that context already so it's you know you've got to consider it really as a film in itself and and it doesn't play into as many of those stereotypes, so no. I think seeing it again, I realised that in and of itself, it's it's a pretty good film.
0: Yeah, I, that that was sort of my impression as well. Um, although, admittedly, large swathes of this film I don't remember uh, because I think I was like eleven or twelve when I first watched this. Um, uh, but uh, watching it was kind of like, yeah, this is this is okay. I could I could certainly see with it coming out fifty five years ago, like coming out in a nineteen sixty two. British and then later American uh, film landscape, it would be like, oh yeah, no, this is pretty cool. This is this is certainly um, it, it would have been very different from anything that was happening, and feeding into things at the time that are things like uh, the Man from Uncle, uh, things things, and the Saint, you know, the, those sort of things which became popular in the sixties, and particularly given the uh,
1: and the Avengers,
0: the Avengers, yes, and the the uh, the political climate of the time, I think certainly helped feed into this so we we open the film as most james bond films do where we have the opening uh tracking shot with the barrel the gun barrel sequence. the gun barrel uh, except that wasn't sean connery that was a stuntman they got because sean they'd already finished wrapping uh filming with sean and they were like <laughs> oh we should shoot something to start the film and so they chose to do that and they just got in a stuntman to to play him so uh we have that and then we have our first bond sequence and the only fully animated one uh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's the, uh, all the others have featured various uh, images of guns and ladies sort of being filmed and then manipulated in a really interesting uh, visual way. Mm. Uh, this one was just straight up some sixty styles dots, just bloop, 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 bloop. There were some great bloops. There was. Yeah. Uh, but then it fed into um, the opening of the film, which is the murder of Strangeway. Strangways? Yep. Yes. Or uh, Strangeways. Yep. Yeah, Depends sorry. Where I, from, I I think. Was it not Strangeway? <laughs> I, think I think it was Strange Strangways. Ways. Okay, uh, let me just double check because <laughs> I've just been saying Steven, strange we way. we
1: literally just
2: watched it.
0: Pretty oh. sure it was It's Strangways. They said
1: his name like a bunch.
0: Okay, well, in any case, uh, Strangways was murdered. <laughs> uh, in a strange way? In a, it was in a strange way. Maybe that's what well, it was.
2: He was shot, wasn't he?
0: Okay. By
1: three men pretending to be blind. That's mm. <laughs> fairly <laughs> I, unusual. I
2: guess that's quite strange.
0: Yeah, and so anyway, strange ways or not, uh, he is murdered <laughs> and uh, this... Uh, uh, attracts the ire of the, the british secret service who send uh their top operative bond james bond who we're introduced to uh playing the card game and when that line was said anna actually wrote down you went okay that is undeniably cool it
1: wasn't very yeah because like you like you both said earlier it's interesting to watch this first film and see where all those like uh bond james bond and the lines about the martinis and all that sort of stuff when you see it for the first time, it's not loaded. There's no, like, wink to the audience of, like, oh, we know you like this line.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's really, when they do it for the first time, you are like, oh, that is James Bond.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, uh, I mean, there were a couple of moments in this film where, you know, he gets his, his martinis definitely not stirred twice in the film. Mm-hmm. But it's not a big deal yet at this point. So we have this, this uh, introduction to James and one of the other things which carries on through a lot of the other films is the flirting with money penny with miss money penny we're introduced to a lot yes. of these iconic characters because we also get m uh played by bernard lee uh, as well um and yeah it was it was interesting that that relationship between the character of james bond and the character of miss money penny is really pretty much entirely wrapped up in that first scene everything they do in all the subsequent films is basically just that same scene played over and over. It's like James coming in and going, I'm showing off, and I sort of think you're a babe, but maybe not, and Miss Moneypenny Mm. going like, ugh, James, I mean, I am attracted to you, but at the same time, just shut up, James. Absolutely. So James is sent to Jamaica. Yes. uh, Because there is something afoot when Strangways is is, is, uh, killed. And, well, at this point, he's just missing. So we see James arrive at Kingston Airport and immediately do something which uh, pretty much continues throughout the film and just be a bad spy. Oh, he's he's, he's not. not a great spy.
2: Well, I'm not going to weigh into whether he's g I'm not, not being a spy myself, I'm not going to judge <laughs> the man's spy. never having spy. met
1: any spies that I know of. <laughs>
2: mm.
0: Well, you, so you're not I've, supposed to know. Maybe I've met some yeah. very good mm. spies. Maybe you have. <laughs> yeah. But he, he's not a great spy. I mean... In what ways, Steven? In the... He he is not a successful Snip. proponent of espionage.
2: So I think what we see in that scene is uh, a car comes to collect James and he realises that uh, a car probably hasn't come to collect him. Mm. So he immediately goes and calls um, uh, his contact mm. in Jamaica to confirm that a car hasn't been sent for him uh, and then with this knowledge still gets in the car mm. and takes control of the situation and uses it to his advantage. I would uh, uses it to his advantage. I would think that's a fairly good spy thing to up do. Up until the
0: it? getting in the car, I would agree. Um but you I- think
2: should have shot him there and then. I think he should just have not
1: got in the car. Yeah,
0: I think that while that guy is, you know, uh loading up the car and he's on the phone, literally just <whistles> just walk away just walk away get into another cab there's loads of cabs around and just that guy stood waiting and then he's going ah oh, shucks he left yeah you know? and, and that could have been that and it would have been fine would have been absolutely I fine I think
2: there's a few times in the series where James Bond plays out to see what someone's planning to do. I think there's a few sort of action yeah. adventure films where the, the hero or a character plays out what happens just to see what happens because mm. if they if they you know if the jig is up there in the airport then i they can either get away into a crowd or they mm. can you know maybe he would have we then find out that he you know takes the cyanide maybe as soon as he was found out he could have and he felt like he had more control when he was on the side of the road who knows
0: maybe it just it just felt like maybe he's the story best spy <laughs> like certain throwaway character in certain situations i agree it's it's good to play along but you're going into a car in a foreign country you don't know where they're going you know he he, that guy could have offered him that cigarette that cyanide cigarette and then he would have smoked it and just died choking in the back of the car right i'm just not convinced that he could have
2: offered him a lot of apples and then he could have died from cyanide poisoning (laughs) that way exactly
0: yeah i just i'm just that's a lot
1: th- that's a lot of apples. yeah
0: i think like through, through <laughs> a lot of james bond films he shows that he's not necessarily the world's greatest spy
1: but we are introduced to another suspicious figure in the airport
0: mm Yes, uh, whose
1: name I have already forgotten.
2: Felix. Weiser. Felix. Thank
0: yes, you. With the is, lady glasses. Yes, uh, played by Jack Lord for the one and only time. Uh, because uh, fun fact from the IMDb trivia troll was that they thought that he was maybe more handsome than James Bond. They
1: were correct,
0: and they quite <laughs> frankly couldn't have that. So all it of was the, yummy. All, every, everyone else that's played Felix since has been like either shorter or just not as much, not as good looking. That's as, quite
1: rude to short men.
0: Yeah. Well, Short men are plenty good-looking. That's true. Oh, a uh, fun fact from the Trivia Troll, actually, you've just reminded me to do with um, height um, regarding uh, the James Bond franchise. And when I read this today...
2: Oh, is this about all the furniture yes. being slightly smaller? all
0: the sets and furniture were slightly smaller than they would be in reality oh to make Bond look larger.
2: Wait, how tall is Sean
1: Connery? Uh, Apparently
0: I look... not tall enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go, height is not enough. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. But yes, that is something that they did, which... Um, I think just would because
1: that not then make all his female co-stars look larger in comparison if the bed is smaller?
0: Potentially, but if Sean himself is the biggest thing in the room, uh, then that becomes a key factor. And Anna is currently concealing laughter, and so is Alex, uh, because throughout this film, a saying came up, um, which it it just kept coming up, uh, and it was it was something you said, Anna. I remember it being something Anna said. Yeah, uh, it, when they were comparing the guns,
1: it's a phallic thing.
0: Uh, I believe you. What you actually said was, "This is a dick thing, isn't <laughs> it?" We're allowed to say dick. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's a dick thing. Yeah, such a dick yeah. thing. Oh God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dick's acceptable, and you know, if it's not, get your own podcast. Uh, but yes, <laughs> um, it's a dick thing, and I think that's a really ju- just a key point with this yeah. film and a lot of the other James Bond films is that a lot of things to do with this film. Is a lot of things to do with dicks and penises Yeah um, And penises Yeah Both of them? Oh yes, my goodness Oh my goodness I'm not an expert on the subject But yes, both of them um, But yeah, the, the there were lots of things that just kept popping up Where it's like ha. This is a dick thing um, <laughs> Sorry now, now
1: I'm just being childish
0: That's okay uh, 1.89 metres, Sean Connery In height so, oh, What is that
1: in feet and inches? Uh,
0: less
2: I think I'm about 185 Oh
0: there you go. So. So he's about six foot.
1: Oh, that's a perfectly fine height.
0: Indeed, uh, but yes. Yeah, Surely,
1: so, for a spy, being a very average height would work better.
0: Potentially, I feel like we need to stop
1: assessing Sorry.
0: whether James Bond was a good spy <laughs> or not. Six really foot
1: really two. Oh, I was six foot two. Yeah.
0: Um. But yes. Yeah, so anyway. So we. He gets at the airport. There's a lot of phallic conversations that yep. continue throughout the rest of the film. Uh, there's a guy with weird shorts and socks. <laughs> Um, who's helping in the investigation, which I'm sure is an official Jamaican police uniform. It just looked weird on, on that particular guy. And then uh, throughout the investigations, uh, we see James go to a bar and get held up. Not great spying, but it's okay, because those guys in the bar are actually working with Felix. So, okay spying, I guess. Yes. Yeah, he did
1: okay. That one turned out all right.
0: Yeah. Um, and so there's this big investigation to... All this, this crazy happenings uh, that are occurring in Jamaica that are all connected to this mysterious, villainous figure. Dr. Uh, no. Dr. No, who we, we only really see in the last half an hour of the film, Alex. Yes. Um, which was um, a little surprising because obviously normally with Bond films, the villains are reasonably front and centre. Aha. Normally, there were no Bond films.
2: There was no normally Bond films at this point. Correct.
0: An excellent use of uh (laughs) aha. (laughs) Aha. Which you don't hear a lot these days. There's not enough (laughs) aha anymore. Okay, but retroactively, comparing it with all the films that came subsequently, often you see the key villain relatively early on.
2: Correct, because the dynamic that Bond films tend to establish between... Uh, Bond and the villain is this sort of cat and mouse thing going on. Uh, the main villain sends henchmen to go and kill Bond throughout the film and Bond keeps evading them in some way and then eventually Bond catches up with the villain. And there's a speech. There's usually. a speech of some kind. There's a bit more conversation. Um, this one establishes a, a sort of pretty decent conversation but there mm. there is only one conversation uh, and then there's some sort of big showdown between the two of them. Mm. Um, but you're right, in this film there's not really any cat and mouse in fact uh, dr no obviously only appears um by voice when he's speaking to professor dent mm. in the small Which room when he gives him the
0: tarantula really
1: quite an effective
0: yeah i mean oh, the, it's, the, the it's way, really creepy technique. the way it's shot the way the room's set out the way they have that kind of like grid with sunlight coming in yeah, and the fact that dr no well. had this you know this is the voice of the mr ron's thing just coming through very creepily <laughs> and going you will kill him with what with this tarantula. I mean, he doesn't say that, <laughs> but it's basically what's implied. And uh,
1: pick up the cage. <laughs> exactly.
0: And it's almost Stanley Kubrick that sort yeah, of style. Yeah, it is style. A little... Yeah, Doctor, like Doctor uh, Stranglove. Um, but yes. Um, and oh, so. Oh goodness! <laughs> buddy. Oh buddy! Doctor, uh, sorry, Professor Dent, not Doctor Dent. Professor Dent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of qualifications in this film. Professor Dent takes the tarantula, tries to kill James Bond with the tarantula. Fun fact. Sean Connery is morbidly afraid of spiders, Apparently. so uh, he was
1: sweating a lot.
0: Yeah, I don't blame him. Um, that shot with the spider in his bed was actually done with a sheet of glass between him and the spider. So when it looks like the spider's crawling on him, it's actually crawling on a piece of glass, which it still looks pretty effective. Um, right up
1: until the very end. Though.
0: Yeah, yeah. When he's sort of in midair. Yeah, <laughs> the spider um,
1: crawls away into the distance.
0: Mm. But yeah, but any of the ones where the spider was like physically on Bond, it wasn't Sean playing it. It was uh, the stuntman Bob Sim- uh, Simmons who was playing um who was playing Bond then. Uh and Simmons reported that the trench crawling over Bond was the scariest stunt that he ever performed. Oh. So there you go. And the trenchler uh was named Rosie apparently. The stunt stunt so there you go. Thank you for that. No, it's just good to know, you know, animals have names too. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Um so he escapes a, a near death from a tarantula. They go to Clark Key, and all of a sudden, um, Ursula Andress emerges from the ocean, um, wearing a bikini, armed with a knife, and basically and saying, two shells and two shells, two very prominent shells, uh-huh. and saying, uh, "I'm <laughs> I am here to collect shells. What it's are a you doing?" Thing. On the, on the...
1: <laughs> Finally, it's not a dig thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, yeah. So she emerges, and James is obviously like. Hooray. Hey. hooray okay you're coming along too i guess um and i think obviously it's again it's one of those things which is well established now when we look at bond films that the, the, there's a bond girl or there's a couple of bond girls but i think the thing that really made the concept of the bond girl take off was ursula um was because she's a beautiful lady hot damn mm. Mm. I th- yeah it was just uh, objectively just there, going Yep, there's some good-looking people in this film because obviously Sean himself is uh, is no slouch. Um, but yeah, it, I think I think that particular sequence of her coming from the ocean and singing this ever-present song,
2: Alex's favorite song, yeah. underneath the mango tree, my honey and me.
0: <laughs> yeah, she comes out singing that. I think that particular shot is arguably one of the most important shots for for Doctor No and for the future of the James Bond franchise because it really captured this this sort of glamorous, exotic world, which I think James Bond, at least in the first 20 years or so of its existence... Uh, that was what it was built on. Yeah. It, it was essentially uh, the reason he went to so many places around the world. Was one, he's a spy, and we gotta can't trust those foreigners. Um, speaking from a British perspective, but secondly, it was showing all these places that were way better than Britain. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like where where did James Bond go this time? Let's do a film where he's in Rio for half of it. Uh, let's do a film where he goes to Venice. Let's do a film where he's in the Bahamas. And uh, it y- is kind of
1: that aspect of like the intense glamour that only really came about in the 50s and 60s Mm. and And then by the time the 70s happened it was that just wasn't how things looked anymore yeah i
2: don't imagine that i don't actually know but i imagine in the late 40s and 50s people weren't traveling an awful lot because people probably weren't super open-minded about going to other countries
0: and also they just wouldn't have been able to afford to i mean obviously the war commercial
1: um, air travel wasn't really a thing it was starting to ramp up in the late 50s i mean
0: you look at how long it took lots of countries post-world war Two to sort of get off rationing mm-hmm. um you know this concept of of spending money just to go somewhere and be somewhere for a couple of weeks that was hot and tropical was kind of just a bit ludicrous um mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you have james bond who is this you know that is that saying of you know he's who guys want to be and who every lady wants to be with you know that that kind of um cliche but at the time i think there's a lot of truth to it because you know, here he is. You know, uh, Sean Connery, former Mister Universe. Uh, oh, was he? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. That. Former, uh, yeah. Uh, he's you know a good-looking uh, young man, thirty-two when they shot this film. Uh, and here he is with um, Ursula Andreas and they're in Jamaica, and it's sunny, and there's all this weird stuff going on. And ignore the tarantula, but other than that, <laughs> it's fine. Um, and she's I think
1: almost naked a whole bunch.
0: Yeah, and when she's not, she's wearing like a wet shirt. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's all these sorts of things where it's kind of like to their audience, which would have been young men, particularly young, white, British and American men. They Um, want
1: their lives to look like that.
0: Yeah, they'd be looking at that and going, that is what I want because this film is cool and therefore I think it's cool and therefore those traits are things that I should aspire to, which again leads to a problem with a lot of early Bond that's kind of continued into most of Bond, which is it's not exactly the most PC of films uh, as a series. No. There are, um, I mean, Ian Ian Fleming... um, good writer though he was, did did have some uh, tendencies to be less than racially sensitive mm. in a lot of his writing. Uh, you were saying uh, there's another Bond film where um, Sean Connery's James Bond affects a, an Asian look?
2: Yes. So in You Only Live Twice, he is uh, effectively, um, I think they were describing the film, turned into a Japanese man. Mm. Uh, and they, they do apply... Makeup and uh, and prosthetics so that he looks like a, a Japanese man, and it.
0: Yes, it's it's not great to watch.
2: It's it is a bit uncomfortable to watch, mm. um, and I think the racial or cultural insensitivity and also um, the fairly obvious um, misogyny that that sort of goes mm. on throughout the films as well, um, and. Between the two of those, and I'm sure there are other ways, other people that are treated less than mm. sensitively mm. Uh, throughout the films. And and, and you're right, it, it 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 just happens. I think I think the um, the um, you only live twice example is mm. probably the most uncomfortable one to watch. Mm. Uh, but there's also another instance of of James Bond hitting a woman. I think it was Sean Connery as well. Mm. Uh, and yeah, other things dotted throughout.
0: Mm. As as someone who has previously enjoyed the James Bond films, mm. uh, but now also as a as a very modern man in this twenty first <laughs> century, um, how does a contemporary society affect your viewing of James mm. Bond? And this you know, this is obviously for for both of you, but starting with Alex because obviously you come from a, an aspect of having been a a, a big uh, fan of this franchise previously.
2: Oh, and and I, I still think I am a fan of the franchise, yeah. but um, I. It does. You do notice it more. Yeah. I think when I was watching it for the first time growing up, um, I probably didn't notice it as much because there are other films on TV, uh, so well, other films in general and, and TV programs that have similar issues. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't excuse it, but that probably shows why the context that it was in, uh, it didn't stand out as being particularly bad. But you're right. Looking back on it now, you you realise these things and you go, oh my goodness, um, how was that okay? Or, mm. or how was that? You know, how much is that reflecting what the world was at that time and how much of that is just basic closed-mindedness or insensitivity? Uh, and even if the world was like that at the time, you know, does that justify perpetuating that? Mm. Or, you know, you could spend a lot of time thinking about all of that. I think it's important to take the films for, for what they are, I guess, which was, you know, a, a bit of fun in that context at that time. Um, but I'm in a way sort of... Um, mm. Trying to make a justification for for the way that it was.
0: No, indeed. And Anna, obviously, is a first time viewer. How how did it read for for you in terms of um, what what seemed dated and what didn't?
1: Well, I mean, I didn't go into it expecting a progressive message and you know, well rounded female and ethnic characters, mm. and I did not get them. Mm. But um, I've watched I've I've watched other films, and it's gonna sound Stupid, but I've been more offended. Mm. Like looking at that, you're like, "Oh, it's not great," mm. but there are worse out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure there are other Bond films that are. Yeah. You I... watch and you come away with more of a "oh god" kind of feeling.
0: Yeah, I, I, I certainly think that's the case. I mean, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm watching it for for myself again, looking at it from a, a sort of modern perspective. It's, it's, it is dated but it it, at the same time it doesn't feel like a film that's 55 years old no it's very well shot but i think uh, some of the attitudes yes are very very old but i think at the same time a lot of those attitudes existed a lot longer into modern culture to to the extent that some attitudes still exist in some parts of the world that that are reflective of this um but yeah it, it was strange that it for me it didn't necessarily impede My enjoyment of the film Which I have found with other films um, Occasionally something happens where it's like It's actually affecting my ability to Enjoy the film uh, This I felt less so mm. Mm. They collect some seashells, they hide from some guards, uh, they do the... Get shot at. They get shot at, yes. Uh, they do the hiding from the uh, guards under the water with the um, the reeds uh, as a breathing apparatus. Foolproof. Oh, how could that go wrong? Oh, right? it's uh,
1: never once gone wrong in the history of movies ever.
0: Exactly. Robin Hood did it in the Disney film and it was great. Um, and then we learn perhaps the most important thing that Honey Rider, as played by Ursula Andreas, Learnt everything from the encyclopedia. Oh, God. She never went to school. Her father she taught everything from the encyclopedia, to. but she has only gotten as far as the letter t, which suggests that maybe she's not reading at the pace she should <laughs>
1: she did say she started at a when she was eight mm-hmm. and it's never clarified is she reading one a year or how old she is yeah or...
0: but it just means that there we were talking during the film there are obviously some big gaps from like t onwards that yeah, she wouldn't know it's Quite a lot. umbrellas x-ray machines xylophones zebras yachts <laughs> you know it's there's a lot of things <laughs> that she just is not going to know about um which just it was a really odd choice but she um, knows
1: a lot about shells. Well,
0: well she's just
2: covered that. Yeah. So it's still fresh in her mind, I guess. She's really
0: proud of her knowledge.
2: Uh, look, she may have read a dictionary before she started on the encyclopedia because yeah. I feel like most children start speaking before the age of eight. Look, I'm not trying to No, they definitely do. <laughs> I don't I don't know how much detail we should we should think about this. I think the bigger problem with Honey Rider and with Quarrel is that they both legitimately believe that there is a dragon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, on this island slash in this kingdom.
1: Surely, this encyclopedia was like D dragons, not real.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so there is this myth of this dragon, which uh, we then see some tracks, which look, uh, I believe, as you said, Anna, an awful lot like jeep tracks. Yes, exactly. Uh, and like then it's jeep revealed. Tracks. Yeah, and then it's revealed that the dragon is in fact a fire-breathing jeep. It's it's a tank. It's <laughs> essentially a small tank with like a dragon face painted on the front that has a flamethrower, which uh, you know effectively works because it, it killed Quarrel. And um, like
1: we said, she's read the T section of the encyclopedia. So, she should know what a tank is.
0: Indeed, or a flamethrower. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, they they get captured. Um, the, the, the tank was just weird. The dragon... Yeah, that it, was, it was... It was... Surely it, that was just a
1: device to kill off. Quirrel? Qu- Qu- no, Qu-
0: Quirrel's the one with the turban with the other head on the on the back.
1: That's the one. Yeah. Just a, device a different franchise
2: <laughs> there was altogether. Fire in that one too. Yeah. Right?
1: There was dragons in that one.
2: Did a dragon on the foreshore.
1: Thought you wanted to know.
0: Uh anyway, uh so they get captured by the dragon,
1: clearly taking this very seriously. Well,
0: well, I mean, it is a bit campy. This, this yeah. watching this reminded me a lot of the first Austin Powers film. Which, if, I...
2: if you think this is campy, you need to watch some Roger Moore films. Yeah, you really You've, do. you've reviewed Moonraker, and yes, I feel like that is probably the the campest.
0: It has to be up there. It is incredibly incredibly The Spy campy. Who Loved
2: Me, I feel like, is also a bit camp with the villain with webbed fingers who wants to uh, create his own underwater. Civilization. Does he
1: not know he can get surgery and like fix that?
2: Are you saying there's something wrong with that?
1: No, but if he he seems really upset about it. (laughs)
2: Mm.
1: Does he have gills as well?
2: Uh no. Then he
1: cannot live under
2: the water. (laughs) He's living in like an air like a like a in somewhere that has air. He's not swimming around (laughs) underwater, Anna. (laughs) He's (laughs) living in a city under the water. did you just say he needs gills? Yes, Anna, he needs gills. If he's going to survive under... You That's can be I under the confused. water. Did you know you could be in the air without flapping your arms, Anna? There's a plane. That's what you <laughs> used to travel in the air. <laughs> Steven, he's being mean to me.
0: Yes, yeah, he... I mean, he makes a fair point, but yeah, at the same time...
1: Okay, I said a stupid point. At the same time,
0: uh, Dr. No is currently living underwater because he has those... Giant fish Mm. in his. uh, his Nobody says the thing. They're magnified. The the ten-inch thick glass. Yes, it magnifies them. It's a dick thing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're introduced to Doctor No. Uh, Really interesting point. I wrote down uh, that uh, James is wearing a mandarin collar with a Western pocket square, and apparently that didn't jibe for you, fashion expert. It did
1: not. It was bad. Mm. Bad choice. Yes. Okay. It just doesn't look right. And then you look at Doctor No, and he's got the mandarin collar and Mm. the plain shirt front, and that's. This is just a very pedantic mm. look at the fashion of the villains.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. What about Ursula's uh, number? What did we think of the the uh, Asian fusion thing she was wearing?
1: Um, it was all right. But there was definitely a lot of structure going on mm. underneath it. That was not a natural shape
0: that her waist was in. Mm.
1: But thing, I mean, look, she's banging and that's the whole mm. kind of point of honey rider is to be there and look banging
0: indeed uh, and then to disappear while james is uh, in a prison cell crawls out of some vents uh, in a die-hard style despite being 30 years before die-hard yeah. almost um crawls out some vents uh, again attempts to be a spy by wearing the radiation suit and then does um, a bad job well i mean he ends up saving the day by oh, okay, killing a lot fine. of people it's it's a yeah it's a weird one because he he dresses up as um as one of the scientists who I believe was Chang. I think I think
2: Doctor No referred to him as Chang. Yeah, yeah something like and
0: that. then uh you know he gets told to do something and it just so happens Chang's job was to turn the big valve that can kill us all if you turn it too much, <laughs> which
2: is very useful. That's a the... great coincidence. Mm. Yeah,
0: and so obviously James is like, oh, better stop the evil plan. Turns the dial too much, fights off some guards, actually has a fist fight with Doctor. No. Can we
2: clarify
1: what the evil plan was?
2: My understanding was that Dr. Noe is trying to interfere with the launch of some American missiles. They, mm. did,
1: make, sorry, they did mention Cape Canaveral an awful lot.
2: Mm. Mm. I don't know what he was wanting to do more than that, but that's my understanding of what he was wanting to do was interfere with these missiles. But like I said at the beginning, which is not just meant as a cop-out answer, but <laughs> what I said at the beginning about uh, you can engage with this film and a lot of the other films in as much detail yeah. uh, as you want. Um, so you can just look at it and just enjoy the fight scenes or you can look at it and sort of vaguely know what the characters names are um or you can look at it and start to get the plot or you can look at it in really minute detail and really understand what's going on uh and and that would i don't know some people would really enjoy that
0: yeah and i th- I think it, it is one of the really simple bomb plots it's essentially stop the missiles from being missiles uh, and I think that was maybe important for them in establishing this as a potential film series going forward was to start off with something simple and yeah, then... Yeah,
1: it's very much testing the waters yeah. of what can we put out, what the audience is going to feel and what can we then
0: yeah, and, and, go want to change. And, you know, they create a style around it so that then you can tell stories in a very interesting way uh, beyond that. Um, so, yes, we have Dr. No. He has metal hands, um, which, again, it's one of those things where it's kind of like he's essentially just wearing big gloves. It's one of those things where it's... <laughs> They haven't quite gone big budget because this was not a big budget film. Uh, I, b- I believe the I overall. I mean, they
1: looked quite effective.
0: Yeah, this this film only cost Sinister. one point one million dollars. This was not an expensive film to a make. A pittance. Yeah.
2: Although In... I remember looking at the conversion. Yeah, that's gonna be. It's cool. about fifteen it's... million.
0: Oh,
1: that's oh, silly. okay.
2: I yeah, it's it's, like seven,
0: it's, but... it's not oh, a huge. Quite
1: room. a lot. Right? Fifteen. Says me who has no millions.
0: True. But the film ended up making 16 million in the US box office that year. So, you know, it 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 was Wait, a big 16 success. million
2: in that year. In that year, yes. So, it made 15 million profit.
0: Yes. Right. In 1962-63 money. So, it yeah, yeah, right. yeah, it was a big success. And obviously that's why the the Broccoli family decided, right, let's, let's make more. Every time we say the Broccoli family, <laughs> we we get a little chuckle from Anna.
1: It's funny. It
0: is funny. Thank <laughs> you. Particularly as his daughter is called Barbara Broccoli. Who sounds like someone that's on a children's show trying to encourage me to eat well? Sorry,
2: if if Barbara uh, is is listening, mm. uh, I just like to say I, I don't find your name remotely funny. Uh, I think you're very good at what you do, uh, and if you would like some sort of um, apology, just hire me. Um, <laughs> if you would like some sort of I'm not even a consultant, I don't know what would I be.
0: Okay, here's a fun at- question: If you could be in a James Bond film, where do you think you would realistically do the best job? Like,
1: oh, that is a good question. Yeah
0: like would you want to be like a modern day Q or would you be like one of the early goons that gets knocked off like where do you think goodness me as an actor you would you would like to play and think you'd do a good job
2: see as as a younger person when I was becoming a fan of James Bond uh, the James Bond series in general I did have uh, you know as, as you do as a young creative type you have some ideas about Films that you would like to write, or, or you know, whatever. You know, you're gonna post your off your ideas to the producers. And, you know, take <laughs> no credit, just you know. You, just if you, you wanted to use these. If you want to use these lie. great ideas, um, I always like the idea of there being um, someone who seems to be the villain the whole way through, and then I slip out at the end and Ooh. happen to have been pulling the strings the whole time. Um, as you know, I don't know. As the as as someone who seemed to be a henchman or some sort of you know. Admin worker or something like that. But he's really the and... man
1: behind the curtain. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: So, sort of like if Oddjob had actually been the, the main villain in Goldfinger. If that...
2: he, yeah, if he yeah. just turned around at the end and all of a sudden spoke words <laughs> <laughs> instead of just hat throwing. Yeah. Well, he was good at that.
0: Anna, if there's someone you'd like to play in a James Bond film or, or a particular role?
1: Realistically, I'd be someone who handed him a file. <laughs> <I don't
0: know. laughs> the, the admin
1: worker
2: who becomes the villain in the end? Is that what you're saying?
1: You should,
2: we could do this film together, I think. Should we? Like co-villain? I, co-villain? We could co-villain. I like that. I yeah. don't know if I've had co-villains before.
0: Mm, that's a very interesting proposition. Yeah. Um, Stephen could be our henchman. I would love. You have good henchmen. I'd love to play a henchman, but I think in all realistic. Uh, probabilities, I would be a Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Oh. I would be a like, I don't understand. No, it. so Whatever. Anna's <laughs> not going to get the reference, <laughs> but I thought um, it was a
2: good one in terms of corny things that happened during the Roger Moore era. There was a character who, may he rest in peace, died quite recently. I yes, think.
0: Oh. he was 96 though, he was, Ooh, that's it was a, a fair age. age, but anyway, yes, may he um, still rest in peace. So, I think he's that still changes his that. Is still very upset. <laughs>
2: But uh, Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Uh, was a Louisiana state police officer. (laughs) And he chased James Bond in Louisiana in... Oh, say it was on a horse. Say
1: it was on a horse.
2: I don't think he was on a horse. He was in a police car. Uh, In... Is it Live and Let Die? I think is his first appearance. And then in The Man with the Golden Gun, he's in... Is it Hong Kong?
0: Yeah, and he's on holiday.
2: And he's on holiday, but he happens oh. to be there when James Bond is speedboating through the canals of, <laughs> mm. of wherever
0: he is. I'm just gonna show Anna a picture of JW Pepper in oh, no. the films. So he's just like Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a comedy right. like sheriff okay, American I, I character. See, yeah. That is the kind character I think I'd play, just like some comedy reoccurring character would be my would be my thing. <laughs> right? It's kinda of like Mr Bond, you've made another mess. You know kind of <laughs> gosh thing. darn it that's another city block destroyed <laughs> gosh you're so clumsy <laughs> anyway uh, that sort of thing i have a few bits of trivia uh to have a look at um with with you all ian fleming was not the biggest fan of this film yeah, i read that yeah like oh. he, he didn't mind sean as bond it took him a while to grow on him actually purportedly one of ian fleming's first choices for bond was uh roger moore who was um obviously a television star at the time in in britain He's... um
1: which one of the bonds was Australian?
0: George Lazenby. <gasps> that's
1: yeah. who I was thinking of with the ruffled shirt. Yeah,
2: and the cork hat.
1: <laughs> Every time you've said Roger Moore, I thought George Lazenby.
2: Right, okay. Well George Lazenby was only in one film. Yeah, that's but... why
1: I was so confused because you kept talking about all the different
2: <laughs> <laughs> Roger Moore. Interestingly films. enough, so my understanding is one of the reasons that Ian Fleming well, a couple of the reasons Ian Fleming didn't like uh, Sean Connery is because he was working class and Scottish, mm. uh, and then James
0: Bond was ni- uh, the character was English and upper class. Correct.
2: He did a pretty good
1: job with the. Accent. So then they
2: replaced Sean Connery with an Australian, George okay. Lazenby. Mm. Um, but something's
1: the... like no, this is worse.
2: <laughs> but in the film, explain they explain that uh, James Bond has Scottish heritage, uh, so they actually have him wearing a kilt and such during. So they didn't actually have a Scottish Bond anymore. They had an Australian Bond, but scottish him up i guess because they've decided that they're going to make that a thing now
0: yeah um but when ian fleming apparently first saw this he reportedly described after seeing the film as it was dreadful simply dreadful he he was not a big fan of it but i think he grew to like it uh, partly you know due to royalties i imagine but um they usually
1: change people's minds
0: yeah a, a little bit but yeah he did okay um Sean Connery had two hair pieces for this film because he'd already started losing his hair. A uh, wet one and a dry one. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, because obviously he needed... Because uh, he spent a lot of time in the water, so they, they had a bit of uh, a change. This is the only film where James Bond sings in all the films, where he sings uh, Under the Mango yeah, Tree. Yeah, I feel
1: like there was a reason for that.
0: Mm, I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, it wasn't that good. Still better than me singing on the podcast.
1: <laughs> Yours was fine. Oh,
0: fine. Um... Other actors who could have played James Bond, um, Ian Fleming's first choice was his cousin Christopher Lee.
1: No. No? I mean I'm not disputing th- are you, are
0: you he think, was his cousin. Are you thinking um Saruman era Christopher Lee when we say <laughs> yeah, that though? I am. I, I'm sure Christopher Lee could have done it in that in that time. Like a nineteen sixty two era Christopher Lee.
1: When was he doing all his horror films?
0: Um, hammer horror films around that time. Yeah, so yeah. that's
1: that's all I can imagine from sixties Christopher mm-hmm. Lee is stock horror, really.
2: See, can you imagine Christopher Lee getting into fisticuffs? No, he doesn't strike me as he, the no, he's not a, like, up an type up and type up of Adam guy. Whereas kind of. Sean Connery, oh, the yeah. first thing he does is is start having a, a wrestle with the um tax, well not the taxi driver the chauffeur guy yeah the uh, which establishes his role as being, and I think since then. Roger Moore was happy to have a bit of a punch-up. In fact, the first thing that George Lazenby does is have a punch-up on the beach with some Mm. thugs. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's definitely like a being prepared to use your hands. Yeah, it's like a physical
1: role.
0: I mean, there's a couple of things I'd uh, refute to that. One, that um, Christopher Lee reportedly, um, when they were filming uh, in The Return of the King uh because this character Saruman uh is killed spoilers uh by being stabbed in the back and Oh yes, I know this yes, story. Yes, and Peter Jackson says uh, you need to make this noise and Christopher Lee says that's not the noise a man makes when he is stabbed in the back. <laughs> Which is right. uh he he used to work in the British military. Um right. so he 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 is a man who could definitely handle himself. Um but I can see I can see Christopher His Lee
1: more as the villain.
0: Well, <laughs> funny you should say that. <laughs> oh, no. He was the man with the golden gun. I... He plays a Bond villain in 1975. Gosh, I'm good. Yeah. Amazingly. Yeah. He is uh... Scannamanga. He is wonderful.
1: Oh, mm. I have heard that name.
0: Uh, yeah, I've got a picture of um, Christopher Lee from around 62 when he was in a uh, Sherlock Holmes film. So that's roughly what he nah, looks that's like. No, a, that's a villain. Yeah, he's a bit... To be honest, he Well looked... you
2: did get a very villainous photo to yeah. show us so.
0: He's playing Sherlock. He, you know, he's got to have the pipe. Um and in fact the only other picture that popped up, he's wearing an eye patch. So maybe villain is what he has <laughs> to be Um another <laughs> actor who was apparently asked to play the part of um Doctor No was Noel Coward.
1: Oh. Now,
0: Noel Coward, do you think he could he would have worked as Doctor No? Because I mean I I quite like um who, who is in the film currently. Uh, I, um, I think, Wiseman. Yeah, I think Joseph Wiseman, uh, Wiseman does a really good job. Um, in fact, he's just kind of spooky, to be honest. Uh, which He's I think very is, still, yeah. which
1: is good, I, I think, in a villain.
0: I think Noel Coward would have definitely made it to camp. Um, uh, he would have More been good for from... Moonraker villain? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> although, weird, Although, weirdly, Hugo Drax from Moonraker was not camp at all. No. He very wasn't. drab. He very was, drab.
2: I think maybe if he had been, it would have just been classed as a comedy. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, uh, and the other actors reportedly offered the role of Dr. No was Max von Sydow.
2: Oh, Who that would then a played good choice. a Bond villain in Never Say Never Again. Indeed. He played, uh, I think, did he play Blofeld or did he play Emilio Largo? He, anyway, he played the villain in that film. Hmm
0: and uh, yes at the time he turned it down in order to play Jesus Christ in the greatest story ever told so you know he was a bit busy uh, at the time he got to do a bomb later on I, I think that was actually a good call okay
2: hmm? sure yeah. look I, you, you could play Doctor No or Jesus yeah. um, and you choose both Jesus both equally
1: sinister looking men apparently but-
0: <laughs> <laughs> ouch But well, he was <laughs>
1: considered for both he didn't look that different
0: ladies and gentlemen that is Anna Weir uh- <laughs> oh hell <laughs> Oh dear uh, Yes um, Sean Connery wouldn't appear In the title sequence himself Until Thunderball um, In the, the initial gun barrel follow bit right, So okay. yes uh, It was uh, the stuntman Bob Simmons Who so played him
1: the tarantula stuntman And the gun sequence stuntman and the same guy
0: Yeah well, That's nice There you go So yeah Bob Simmons uh, Arguably
1: So you win some you lose some
0: yeah, Arguably the first James Bond On the cinema screen that's officially canon licensed etc because obviously there's a lot of different yeah. earlier Bond. because
2: every time that stephen says something or every time <laughs> i say something we both chime in over each other saying well
0: actually yeah i
1: think you'll find this is yeah.
0: yeah i think you find there were other people called james first <laughs> and, and, yeah it's one of those things where there is a really interested uh, interesting history with um with uh, old bondy that <laughs> yes yeah, Old though I don't Bondi. think he's ever been <laughs> yeah.
2: called Old Bondy before. Um, happy to be corrected on that.
0: One of the reasons that Harry Saltzman and uh, Albert R. Broccoli chose uh, to go with um, Sean Connery was because uh, he was a big, tough-looking man who, nonetheless, moved gracefully like a cat. And I think that is actually something that comes across. He's got a very particular movement. He, which,
1: yeah, he does. He's not lumbering.
0: Yeah, yeah it would sp- it would suit espionage. I'll give him that. He's he's not bad in terms of. He's got quite a stealthy, almost like light-footed movement mm. to him, which is uh, you can definitely see him useful. sneaking around somewhere. Indeed, indeed. So uh, he did very well there. Only sixteen people die in this film.
2: Oh, that, only
0: that's this well for a James Bond film. I uh, haven't seen any Stephen. A lot more usually.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you.
2: Yeah, I'd be interested to, to compare some of the numbers because I don't think when you start getting. Uh, villains who have, like, armies of people, like militia of people.
1: You're Mm. almost looking at it and think, oh, that doesn't count.
2: Uh, Yeah, exactly. And something like Moonraker, where you have, like, literally two sides that start, like, having a battle. In fact, Thunderball, I think, is the first one that has a really big casualty count because there's a really great underwater battle sequence. Mm. uh, And a lot of people probably die there. Mm. But I don't think... In From a Rush with Love, I don't think very many people die. And I'm trying to think in Goldfinger, there's definitely, like large numbers of henchmen. Yeah, but... but I, I don't imagine... I don't think a lot of people... It can't be that, a very
1: secure job being a henchman.
0: No.
2: No, I feel like in that hench would be... business. Just hench people in
0: general.
1: <laughs> just, just not a great gig. No. no.
0: Uh, you know, if you can do it for a couple of months, it'll pay your uni student debt, I guess. Yeah, I used, to,
2: I used to do hench people work in the holidays. Did you? Yeah, ah. just casually. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's great. You'd be a good henchman. Thank I could you. Say that.
2: Thank you very much. I'm the right hind.
0: Mm.
1: I feel like you'd be the kind of henchman who was constantly going... If we did it this way, do you not think it would be better? Mm,
2: not not how I talk, but yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, artistic license so, with the voice. So I think I think if you did it this way, your voice would be better. <laughs> um, that's all I'm saying. Uh,
0: to get a feel for the clothes, director Terence Young asked Sean Connery to sleep in his finely tailored suit.
1: The suit was lovely, I must admit.
0: Mm. Uh, I don't know whether he did or not, uh, sleep in it or not, but uh, he slept uh, with everything else. Yeah, uh, it's true. Right. That's a fair point. Uh, this... I hope
1: he didn't. Some poor costume person had to press that suit.
0: That's true. Um, after the film, <laughs> you're the only person who would ever think about that. <laughs> it's,
2: look, it's really boring pressing suit. Sure, I have no doubt. Yeah.
0: After the film's release in Italy, the Vatican issued a special communiqué expressing its disapproval. Disapproval, sorry, uh, for the film's moral standpoint.
2: Was there a moral standpoint
0: in Not the film? Not really. No, I, just, I don't
2: know if I, morality really came into
0: it. Well, maybe the Vatican was hoping for more. I don't know. but that They is... were hoping for more missile toppling. <laughs> and the moral
2: standpoint <laughs> against <laughs> missile toppling was <laughs> concerning to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Christie uh, was originally uh, considered for the role of Honey Rider, but Albert R. Broccoli reportedly thought that her breasts were too small. So they ended up going with um, Ursula instead, which... Uh, it's kind of in keeping with some of the messages of the film. So what you're saying
2: is that the misogyny in the film was alive and well behind the scenes? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Oh, not in the 60s.
1: I know. <laughs> well, I never.
0: It's, uh, it's absolutely shocking. Speaking of breasts, uh, according to uh, Lois Maxwell, uh, Ursula Andreas made quite an impression at the wrap party. Quote, At the party, she danced with all the crew, and she was the first grown woman I had ever known. Who didn't wear a bra? As she danced, those wonderful breasts were just swaying. I remember thinking how marvellous it must be to be that uninhibited and wanted to throw my bra off, but I didn't have the courage. End quote.
1: Oh, Lois, you should have gone for it. Hmm. And who it- is Lois Maxwell? Money penny.
0: Money Penny. Miss Money Penny. And originally, uh, she was meant to play the part of Sylvia Trench, um, Mm. but she turned it down. as She didn't care for the scene where the only thing Trench was wearing was one of 007's shirts. So, you know, a classy lady, uh, uh, Lewis Maxwell. You can be
1: a classy lady and just wear a men's shirt.
2: I think Sylvia Trench did a great, great very classy job in it. She looked very, very good.
0: So, let's score the film. Uh, we'll start with you, Anna, as you are... are um,
2: you look very nervous all of a I nervous. forgot we had to ah, score. Yeah. What's it out of? Ten. Uh, it's
0: out of ten. Okay. And I will remind you, uh, as I tend to remind everyone every week, that uh, numbers are uh, arbitrary. These figures don't necessarily mean that this is a good or bad film. It's just a bit of fun that we do with uh, for our own personal enjoyment. And, to, you know, maybe guide you. But ultimately, it's, it's your own decision. You know, we can't tell you what to think. Um, so, Anna what would you give Dr. No out of 10?
1: I personally would give it five and a half stars. Are we doing stars? Five and a half stars?
0: It can be anything you want. Okay, stars. Stars. Out of 10 stars. Okay, five and a half stars. There we go. Uh, Alex, what would you give uh, Dr. No? Uh,
2: Oh, okay. Are we using a star system? Yes. I think I would give it seven out of 10 uh, stars Mm -hmm. uh, because... I think it's I think it's a good film, it's a solid film and it sets the scene for a you know, a series to come and I think it's it's quite enjoyable, but it doesn't challenge me in any particular way, it doesn't uh, you know, excite me in any particular way in and of itself. Um so a solid But seven. you can appreciate it for what it started. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and I think that the characters are interesting and the way that they do things are interesting. Um
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh for myself, um it's it was more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be, uh, from, from what I remember. Uh, but at the same time, I feel as though it, it does suffer from the story not really being that interesting. It t- t- takes a long time to get to the actual villain, um, who, who is quite an interesting villain, but we just don't really see enough of Doctor No for my own liking. So for me, I will give it six uh, Tarantulas Named Rosie out of <laughs> ten. Um, I, it's, it's, it's certainly an okay film. Yeah. Um even a step above okay Um, but I think they have made better Bond since then I I think that's without a doubt
2: correct yeah I think I think this I don't think it's often credited as being one of the best Bond films I think it's probably in the in the maybe lower half it's definitely not in most people's top five it's Mm.
1: not a film that you say to someone hey do you
2: want to come around and watch Doctor No Mm. generally if you're going to show someone a, a, a Bond film you'd start with something like Goldfinger or something like that the man with the golden gun. Yeah. Um I think there may be um particularly good ways to introduce someone to the Bond franchise. Mm. Um but hey Dr. No introduced the world to the Bond franchise and it seemed to do a pretty good job of it.
0: Mm. Or as the studio's Japanese affiliate originally titled it, We Don't Want Doctors. Doctor? No. no. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, Anna and Alex, thank you very much for joining me to review Dr. No.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks
0: Stephen. Alright guys and for those of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening to this episode. A reminder that if you aren't already subscribed, you can subscribe to this series so you get a fresh episode each and every week. Uh, You can subscribe to us either on iTunes or SoundCloud uh, or wherever good podcasts are provided. And of course we now have a Patreon so if you want to uh, help support the program and maybe get a little bit of extra uh, Cinema Catch-Up Club gold then go to our Patreon and consider Making a contribution there, just go to www.patreon.com/ccucpodcast. That's patreon.com/ccucpodcast. And that's all from me, Platt, Stephen Platt. Dun dun dun